Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Amen, amen. Thank you, Keith. Good morning, church. If you've got kiddos in the room who are ages third grade and under, you want them to go to their class down the hall this morning, uh, Mr. Matt and Ms. Cameron in the back of the room, they will take them out as we open the scriptures for our sermon today. Well, we're glad that you're here with us this morning on uh, this Easter Sunday morning, and I uh, just want to remind you, church, that Christ is risen yeah, you guys know how it goes. He is risen indeed. We're glad to see your faces this morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you this morning and you want to follow along as we uh, consider the resurrection together today, I ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we'll be reading verses 4 to 11 together. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along there as we read it together. But in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to pick up midway through verse 4 and read down through verse 11 together. In Philippians 3, verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is... God's Word. You know, over the course of history, there have been all sorts of inventions or events that have changed the course of human civilizations. Uh, back in the Middle Ages, you had the printing press, the advent of the printed page, uh, which then put the Bible in the hands of the common people. Uh, at the turn of the, the 20th century, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you had the invention of the internal combustion engine which transformed the way people travel. No longer did you need horse and buggy to get from place to place, but now you had a car uh, with the keys, and you could move about a little more freely. At the turn of the 21st century, you had the advent of the internet, right, with Al Gore inventing it. 
See, some of you are old enough to remember that joke, right? That resonates with you a little bit. Uh, but the, the advent of the internet was transformed the way that information was exchanged and, and led to an era of globalization as people can be connected from continent to continent with a smartphone that they hold in their hands. All of these things have changed human civilization. However, there's been no event and no invention in human history that has had the scope or degree of impact as the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Nothing has changed the course of civilization like that. And in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says something astonishing. He says the great aim of his life is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. Now before we can consider the power of Jesus' resurrection this morning, we need to see that for it to be powerful, it must be two other things. First of all, if it's to be powerful, the resurrection must be historical. In other words, it must have actually happened. It can't be a figment of our imagination. So to be clear on what we're talking about this morning, let me tell you what we're not talking about. First of all, we're not talking about a near-death experience that Jesus has where he sees a bright white light. Right? And then somebody comes along and gives him CPR through chest compressions and mouth to mouth. They take the paddles and they shock his heart back into rhythm so that he's brought back from the brink of death. That's not what we're talking about. Second of all, we're not talking about the legacy or the spirit of someone living on in their followers, like our great leaders that we may look up to in our generations, right? The, all the things that they did and how their impact lives on as a legacy in the lives of those who've come after him. That's not what we're talking about this morning when we talk about the resurrection. Third, we're not talking about resuscitation, as if Jesus had died, been resuscitated, and died again like Lazarus. Right? There's, there's some pastors who say they feel sorry for Lazarus having to die twice. Also, fourth, we're not talking about spiritualizing the resurrection as if there were a moral in the story. So we don't say things like, well, hey, listen, when Jesus got knocked down, he got up. And so when you get knocked down, you can get up too, right? There was Friday, but Sunday's coming, right? We don't say things like that because we're not trying to spiritualize the resurrection as if it were some fable or some myth that had a moral to the story. But we're not talking about any of those things this morning. Rather, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. As the Anglican John Stott once wrote, he said, God performed a dramatic act by which he arrested the process of decay, decomposition, and corruption. He rescued Jesus out of the realm of death and transformed his body into a new vehicle for his personality. So that he had a new power and was now immortal, never to die again. That is something new. Something that has never happened before and has never yet happened since. See, for the resurrection to be powerful in our lives, it must be historical. It must be real. It must have actually happened. And if you're here this morning and you struggle with the historicity of the resurrection, let me encourage you. Go and read the latest blog post on our website. It's called He is Risen Indeed. I took some time this week to address some common objections to the historicity of the resurrection. I want to encourage you, if you struggle with that, go read that blog post. Find my email address on our website. Right? It's very easy to find. Right? And send me an email and let's have coffee and talk about 
the historicity of the resurrection, that it actually happened, that it is true. You can find it on our website at RedeemerRC.com, and I would love to connect with you and have that discussion. But I don't have time to go into all those objections this morning if we want to actually get to the power of the resurrection. Right? But it's out there. Go find it, read it, and let's talk. So it must be historical. But second, listen, if the resurrection is going to be powerful in our lives, second of all, it must be personal. It must be personal. In verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, the great aim of his life is to be with and be like Jesus. And listen, that's a dramatic shift for the Apostle Paul. So Paul wasn't just believing a set of facts that were true. right? He actually has a personal encounter with the risen Lord. Earlier in our text, in verse 4, he says, If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is what Paul says. He says, I was on the varsity team in high school. Right? I got a full-ride scholarship to any university that I wanted to play for. I got drafted in the first round, won Rookie of the Year, perennial MVP awards, made the Pro Bowl. I was an all-star, rock star, a shooting star that burned brightly with all my passion for being right and all of my religious performance. He says, I had everything going for me. I had the right family. I had a stellar pedigree. I had flawless religious observance, a pure bloodline and ethnicity, a high standing in society. I had everything you could ask for. And then in verse 7, he shifts gears because he, he, he says, all of that that I had, I consider rubbish. Our English translations do not do justice to the word that Paul uses in Greek there because the word in Greek literally means this, dung feces, poop, okay? That's what he's talking about. He said, I look at all of my pedigree, all of my performance, all of my observance, all of my activity, and I consider it worthless. It is rubbish compared to what I have found in Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And Paul says in verse 10 that the purpose for which he's jettisoned everything else in his life. Is that he might know him and be like him. See, there's a new agenda for Paul. There's a new aim in his life. There's a new ambition for him. And it changes everything. It's personal. It's not just a set of facts that Paul believes, like the reality of gravity, right? Or the water cycle that we teach our kids in science classes, right? It's not just Paul's believing a set of facts, but he's it's something personal for him, right? That he's encountered. It's, more, it's, it's not less than the set of facts, but it's more than that. See, Paul says that when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that in Jesus, Paul found something more valuable than his pedigree or performance, the inexhaustible value, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, being found in him. 
gaining him. And what happened for Paul is it began to reshape and reform the way that he saw everything in life. Paul saw everything differently. When the scales fell from his eyes, all of a sudden he has this new vision and he sees everything in life through the lens of his relationship with Jesus. That's what it means for it to be personal. Listen, this sounds kind of radical, doesn't it? Everything in your life gets reshaped, reformed around how you see things through the lens of Christ. Sounds radical. Some of you say, listen, I knew somebody like that one time, right? All they ever did was try to shove their religion down my throat. Every conversation, I had an aunt like that, or I had an uncle like that, or I had a grandparent like that. Every conversation, they were shoving their religion down my throat. Listen, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. That's what I'm talking about at all, right? Because that kind of person really reflects more the pre-conversion Paul, who was right about everything and had to tell everyone and put them in their place. I'm not talking about that this morning. What I'm talking about, rather, is someone who's come to see everything through the lens of their relationship with Christ. Let me see if I can break it down for you like this. I've worn corrective lenses since I was in third grade, okay? I blame it on my genetics, My parents had terrible eyesight, still do, and so do I. Without corrective lenses, I can't see clearly more than about a foot and a half in front of my face, okay? And so my driver's license says, must drive with corrective lenses. So it started with glasses in third grade. In high school, I got contact lenses, right? But those contacts that I wear almost daily now, some of you have seen me in my glasses before. It make, they make a rare appearance every once in a while. But my contacts that I wear almost daily, right, I don't see them all the time, right? I only see them whenever I take them out, put them in their case at night, and put them in as they approach my eyeball, okay? That's the only time I see them. But I see everything through them, right? I don't see anything without them. And that's what Paul's talking about, right? That's the kind of personal encounter that he's had with Christ. That he sees everything through the lens of his relationship with him. That's the kind of personal experience that he's had. And I wonder this morning if you've had that experience. If Jesus has become personal, not just a set of facts that you believe. The resurrection has become personal for you. Right? You don't just believe in it like you know the date of Pearl Harbor or you know the date of 9-11. Right? But, you've, but it's personal. It's real in your life. Now you may ask the question, how do I know if I've had that kind of encounter? Listen, the answer to that question lies in evaluating the aim, the agenda, and the ambition for your life. Let me ask you a question. Has your ambition, your aim, Your agenda, has it shifted from being successful in your career, having a nice little nuclear family, self-adjusted and self-aware children, right? Enjoying your hobbies, building a dream home. Has your ambition shifted from those things to knowing Christ, gaining Christ, being found in Christ, walking with Christ? Has your ambition 
Has it shifted? Has there been this seismic shift and you've given up all those things that you thought made you someone or something to take hold of the only thing that really matters? That's how you know if it's become personal for you. That's how it was personal for Paul. He gave up everything that he thought made him someone or something. And in our culture successful careers in our culture, homes in our culture, families in our culture, hobbies. Have I let go of those things to take hold of Christ and be found in Him? Is it personal for you this morning? If your ambition has shifted, right, then there's two things that are true about you. Let me give them to you this morning. First of all, If your ambition has shifted, then you want to be with him. You want to be with him. In verse 10, Paul says, I've let go of all these things to be found in Christ that I may know him. Those five words coming off of Paul's pen give evidence to the seismic shift in his life. That he wants to know Jesus. This was his great ambition. There was nothing that he wanted anything more than to know the love of Jesus. The mercy of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. The kindness of Jesus. The wisdom of Jesus. But also the correction of Jesus. The discipline of Jesus. The rebuke of Jesus at times. See, there's a difference, church, between knowing Jesus is all these things and knowing Jesus as all these things in your experience with him, of being with him. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you this way. A number of years ago, we bought a trampoline for our kids in our backyards. Some of you are are right there with me, okay? You've got the trampoline, or you're about to get the trampoline, okay? If you've got young kids. But I remember buying that trampoline. It It was the... The love of my daughter's life, okay, whenever she was younger. She would go out there and she would jump for hours on end. And it would bring her great joy. But what brought her even greater joy was to have someone jump with her. Okay, she was always asking for someone else to come jump with her. It was always, Daddy, come jump, Daddy, come jump, Daddy, come jump. And so I would go jump, right? And so I'd be out there cooking chicken right on the grill, and she'd be asking me to come jump. And so I'd flip the chicken, set a, a 10-minute timer so I, I wouldn't burn it, right? And then I'd go get on the trampoline, and we would jump, and we would jump, and I would double bounce her as high as I could get her to go into the sky. And she would laugh, and she would giggle, and she would fall down. And sometimes we would bounce on the trampoline on our bottoms or on our backs together, and then eventually we'd just come to rest in the middle of the trampoline. And then she would crawl over to me at times. This is some of the sweetest memories I have. She would crawl over to me at times, lay her head on my chest, and we would just stare up at the birds as they flew overhead, or the planes as they passed by, or the clouds as they drifted along through the sky. And in those moments, as she nestled close to me, right, she was experiencing me as her father. Now, if you'd have asked her the question, Right? If she walked the halls of her school, is Shannon Collins your father? She would have been able to give an answer to that question, right? which was consistent with a set of facts that she knew to be true. Yes. 
But as she experienced my nearness, as she experienced my tenderness, as she experienced my kindness, but also as she experienced at times my correction and my discipline, right? And those, that laughter turned to tears, right? She was experiencing me as her father in those moments. See, there is a shift that must take place from is. I know God is all these things to as. I've experienced him as all these things in my life. And I want to know him. I want to be with him. I want to gain him. I want to walk with him. I want him to be present and close in my life. So how do you know if that's true of you? Listen, there's a lot of tests that we could take this morning, but I want to give you one that comes out of this passage. In verse 10, Paul says that a part of knowing Jesus, being with Jesus, is sharing in his sufferings. It's one of the tests. And listen, you can't get around it. In fact, some of the older translations, I love the way they phrase it. They say they share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Right? In other words, there's something that binds us together with Jesus experientially, and that is his sufferings. See, so often the Christian life is depicted as a life of ease and comfort. Right? There's a great deal of used car salesmen out there in the pulpit who are trying to get you in the car today before you drive off the lot. Right, by telling you anything that you want to hear. But the reality is one of the ways that you know that you've come to know him is this desire to be with him, yes, but also that you share in his sufferings. Even Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. In other words, Jesus says, listen, if you experience this kind of, if I experience this kind of treatment in the world, you will experience this kind of treatment from the world. There will be hardships that you experience only because you're my followers. That you would not experience apart from knowing me, gaining me, being with me, and walking with me. There are things that are going to happen in your life Right? Sufferings that will come, thorns that will prick that you would not know unless you knew me. Let me ask you a question. Are there any sufferings in your life that would not be present if you didn't know Jesus? Does your heart ache for friends or family that don't know him? And you're burdened for their salvation. If you didn't know him, you wouldn't know that burden. Do you, people treat you differently because they know you won't go to certain places or do certain things? So you're not invited to those parties or to go on those trips. Do you feel left out of conversations at times because people know that you're a Christian? So you feel isolated or lonely in certain social settings. Well, and awkward because of the topics that they're discussing, right? Are you cut off from family on account of you knowing Christ? Have family members walked away from you? Have you been passed over for promotions because there are certain ways of operating within your office that your supervisors know that you will not do? Have you been ridiculed for your beliefs? Do you experience degrees of loneliness in settings when you're surrounded by unbelievers? 
See, there are certain types of hardships or afflictions or sufferings in life that would not be present if you didn't know Jesus. And how you and I answer that question is one of the tests of whether or not we know Him. So if you're asking yourself the question this morning, how do I know if I've experienced Christ? Do you want to be with Him? And are there certain sufferings, hardships that you encounter because you know Him? It's one of the tests. It's the first thing that will be true of you if there's been this shift in your life to making the great aim of your life, gaining Christ, that you want to be with Him. But the second one is this, that you want to be like Him. That you want to be like Him. See, Paul doesn't stop in verse 10 with, I want to know him. But he goes on to say, and the power of his resurrection. See, the word power in verse 10 refers to the power that the resurrection of Christ has for instructing and reforming and changing our hearts, changing our inner lives. See, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, from the grave, never to die again, is available to and at work in all those who know him. Listen, again, there are probably some who believe all of the propositions, all the things, right? That, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, that He is God, but never experienced the transforming power that Paul speaks of working in their lives. Because being with and being like Jesus has not become their great aim, their highest ambition, their, their greatest agenda. There's never been that shift And this may be why some people who are raised in church walk away from the church as they emerge into their early adulthood because they've never encountered resurrection power. They've had a great deal of what I would call impotent religious experience, powerless religious observance, but no experience of resurrection power in their lives. As a result, they don't experience the kind of inner transformation and change that Jesus is able to bring. And so they grow weary and tired of trying to manufacture ways to deal with the dead and dirty stuff in their lives. See, we all know what it's like to get a stain on clothing, right? Eating at a barbecue joint. (laughs) You take a bite into that sandwich, barbecue sauce right there, right? Or we know what it's like to get a stain on our carpets. If you've got children, you've got stains on your carpets, Okay, I guarantee you, no matter how much you try to conceal or hide them. And listen, there are some stains that no amount of OxyClean and elbow grease will remove, aren't there? Can I get a witness? You know it's true. You've got babies spit up all over the carpet, okay? I was about to say diarrhea, and I said it, right? That runs out the other side all over the carpets, right? There are certain stains that seep in so deep that you can't remove them. In fact, the only way to remove them is to remove the carpet. And sometimes whenever you clean, and it looks like the carpet is clean on the surface, but you peel that sucker up, what you see underneath in the padding and in the fibers below is this big circle, right? Because everything still is it's still there even though you can't see it. And oftentimes when we get those stains on our clothing or on our carpets that we can't get out, right? you take the napkin and wipe it off, but listen, that, that barbecue sauce is not coming off. And so what do you do? You put your jacket on and cover it for the rest of the day because you're embarrassed to be seen with a stain. You go to Lowe's or Home Depot and you buy an area rug and you cover the area 
right, that has the stain on it in the carpet because you don't have the money to replace the carpets yet. Right? You spend 100 bucks on an area rug, conceal it and cover it. But the stain is still there. We, can, we cover those things because we're embarrassed to have someone into our home and let them see the stains all over our carpets. But listen, church, the same is true with our souls. Same is true with our souls. Philip Roth wrote The Human Stain, and in it he uses language as a metaphor for evil in the world and in ourselves as well. Listen to what he says. He says, the human stain, it's in everyone. It's indwelling, inherent, defining the stain that is there before the mark. In other words, the stain is under the surface before it ever even shows itself. He says, as we live in this world, we leave a stained trail and there is no other way to be here. See, some have been looking at the stained trail in their lives. For so long, they just come to accept that that's the way that things are. They become content to survive and not really live. And all they do is try to manufacture ways of covering over the stain. That's what Paul was doing in verses 4 to 6. Right? Zeal for persecution of the church. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He had his pedigree. He had his resume. His religious resume was impeccable to cover the human stain. But he came to recognize that no matter how well he concealed it, it was not enough. Listen, if you don't believe that the human stain really is in everyone, and it's there before you ever see it, then let me ask you a question. If you don't believe that, then why do you lock your doors at night? (laughs) Why do you have a security system, or at least a sign in your flower bed from a security company to make people think you have a security system? Right? Why do you have those things? Why do you have antiviral software on your computer so people can't hack it? Why do, you, why do some people have a just-in-case account, right, in the bank somewhere just in case my spouse acts a fool? Why is that there? If you don't believe the human stain is present in your own soul, let me ask you a question. Have you ever told a lie to cover or conceal something that you had done? Are you preoccupied at times with yourself? Have you ever spoken a cruel word when a kind one was called for? If you answered yes to any of those questions, there's a stain in your soul and it's there before it ever shows itself. And listen, prior to meeting Jesus, Paul had spent his life trying to cover the human stain through all of his moral and religious merit badges. Listen, he was like a Boy Scout. He made the highest rank of eagle and he had all the merit badges the show for it. That was Paul's situation. And I wonder if there's anyone in the room this morning who would say, that's me. You've been trying all of your life to deal with the human stain through your religious performance by attending, by serving, by giving. Perhaps that's you. Some of you may say, I'm not trying to do that through religious performance. I'm not trying to do it through attending or serving or giving. And maybe you're not, but maybe you're trying to cover the human stain with other things. Maybe you're trying to cover it over with makeup, with fashion, with diets, with exercise. That if you could just look a certain way. But listen, you could change the packaging, but the product stays the same. Maybe you're trying to cover it in your life through hobbies or homes 
or health. Maybe you're trying to cover it in your life with experiences or education, through travel, with possessions or positions. You're thinking all these things will make you something or someone. They will make you acceptable. They will cover the stain. They will make you righteous. If that's you this morning, I've got good news for you. You can be free from that never-ending treadmill. Because trying to cover and conceal the stain in your life is a never-ending treadmill. In verse 9, Paul says that he's let go of everything to know Christ, be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So you can have a right, the righteousness you've been seeking by trying to cover your, your stain with makeup, cover your stain with possessions, cover your stain with success in your career, cover your stain with your, your nice little nuclear family, cover your stain with all of these other avenues. You can have the righteousness you've been seeking by faith, Paul says. By trusting in the finished work of Christ on your behalf. That there is power in his resurrection. Not to, listen, not to cover the stain, but to cleanse it. See, the resurrection means that you don't have to cover those stains any longer, but they can be cleansed. Because there's power in the resurrection of Christ from the grave to cleanse our lives. Not cover it. Have you ever experienced that cleansing where he's washed away the stain that's been left by sin? If not, you can this morning. And let me tell you how. In verse 10, Paul says the way that we experience that resurrection power, that resurrection power is by becoming like him in his death. See, in order to to experience the power of the resurrection in your life, you must become like him in his death. The word become, it literally means to share the same form or be pressed into a mold to be conformed. When my kids were younger, they loved to play with Play-Doh. That's another stain in our carpets, (laughs) right? Some of that Play-Doh just never comes out. It gets dried and crusty in there. Right? But I can remember they had these molds and they would take the Play-Doh, this soft, malleable clay, and they would press them into the molds. And whenever they took them out of the molds, they would resemble whatever mold they had put them in, the car or the house or the dog or the cat or whatever it was. They'd press it into the mold and then it would resemble that mold. It would look like that mold. That's the image that Paul's using here when he says, become like him in his death. He's saying that our lives must be pressed into the mold of the cross. So that the secret to experiencing resurrection power is dying. Is dying. Experiencing a kind of death to ourselves. That's exactly what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9. When he says this to all those who were around him. If anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Listen, this is the secret to experiencing that kind of transformation, that kind of resurrection power, is self-denial and death on a daily basis. That's how you first come to Jesus, by the way. So if you're here this morning and you've never crossed the line of faith, you've never placed your confidence in Him, that's what it looks like to come to Him. It's to come to Him empty-handed and to say, God, I'm dying to all the ways that I've tried to come to you in the past of bringing you all my my hands full with all the things I've done, all of my accomplishments, all of my achievements, thinking that because of them you would accept me. So you've got to die to that and come to God empty-handed and saying, God, I'm coming to you and I'm throwing myself upon your mercy and your grace by faith in Christ. I'm coming empty-handed. I'm dying to all those other ways that I tried to approach you previously. That's what it means to come to him the first time. And listen, that's what it means to walk with him and experience his transformation on a daily basis is that daily you're denying yourself, daily you're dying to yourself, so that daily you're experiencing resurrection power. Because the only way something can be resurrected is resurrected is if it dies. That's the only way that you can experience that kind of power in your life, is by saying no to those things which are destructive, saying no to those patterns of life that you thought would give you life. Those ways of living in this world that continue to per- perpetuate the stain by saying no to them so that you can experience the power of the resurrection. So let me ask you a question this morning. What are the dirty or dead areas of your life? And how are they going to be cleansed? How are they going to be made alive? How, how are you going to move from self-absorption to a life of love and vulnerability and compassion and generosity towards others? How will you be free of your shame, of that gnawing sense of I never will be enough? How are you going to be free from that? Are you just going to cover it up with all of your attempts to show that you're enough? Or are you going to come to the one who is enough, Christ, with the ends of anger or bitterness and unforgiveness? Will you do it by trying to focus all of your attention on the thing you're trying to be free from or focusing attention on the one who's able to free you? See, dying from all the ways you thought he would make you acceptable to God and coming to him empty-handed and then daily dying to yourself, taking up your cross and following him to experience resurrection power. Because that's the only way that you experience the kind of transformation that would lead you to be like him. Paul says, I want to be with him and I want to be like him. That is the great ambition of his life. Is it the great ambition of yours? Is it the great ambition of your life? Is it this new aim? Listen, as we close this morning, I just want to be real clear that this, this, this seismic shift in ambition and aim and agenda, listen, I'm not talking about going to church. 
okay? That's a byproduct of that shift. I'm not talking about living a moral, upright, good, good standing in society kind of life. That's a byproduct of that shift. I'm not asking you, have you ever raised your hand, walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, or been baptized? What I'm asking is, has there been a shift in your life so that the highest aim of your life, you may have other aims, yes, but the highest aim of your life is to be with Him and to be like Him. If not, if not, that shift can happen this morning. I'm going to invite the band back up. They're going to come and they're going to lead us in song. As they lead us in song this morning, I invite you to lift your voices as we respond to what the Lord has said to us in His Word. At the end of our service today, I just want you to know I will be here. Another one of our elders, Keith West, will be here. And as everyone makes their way out of the back, if you just need someone to pray with you, you need someone uh, to talk to, you need someone to ask about this shift of making the greatest aim of your life knowing Him and being like Him. Of not just having religious experience, but encountering the risen Christ. Then we will be here to pray with you, to talk with you, and to answer questions. And we would love nothing more than to visit with you about that this morning. I'll remind you of that as we close this morning. But I want to invite you now to pray with me as we enter into a time of worship. Father, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. We thank you that indeed he is risen. And that because he is risen, we can have a righteousness that doesn't come from trying to cover up the human stain on our souls. But we can have a righteousness that's not ours at all, but it belongs to Christ. And we can have it by faith so that we can be cleansed. And that we can experience resurrection power to make those dead areas of our lives come alive. And those dirty areas of our lives experience cleansing. But the only way that takes place, Father, we know, is whenever there is a shift. Where we, where we believe the set of facts, but more than that also, we encounter the risen Christ. And so the aim of our lives changes and the highest ambition that we have is to know your son and to be like him. I pray for those this morning who have never experienced that shift. I pray that today would be the day and that they would tell someone. May you meet us this morning, Father, as we sing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through His Word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust Him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.